and welcome to Modern Homemakers. This is Julie Morlock, and I'm the podcast director here at Modern Homemakers. And I hope you've been enjoying our top 10 most listened to podcasts for Modern Homemakers over the past month. Right now here in Arizona, it's still hot, so summer is still ablazing here. But I hope you've been enjoying family and friends over this past month. We look forward to having new podcasts coming out in September when we start our new season and hope you will join us and let your friends know about us. And in September, we'll be interviewing some of Donna's friends and colleagues, and I know you are not going to want to miss those podcasts. There'll be a wealth of information and just such great challenges for us as a godly woman, as a godly wife, as a godly friend, and as a godly mom. So I hope you enjoy listening to the last few of our top 10 most listened to Modern Homemakers podcasts. Again, don't forget you can find us on the web, modernhomemakers.org, and there are a lot of resources there that you can continue to use. We look forward to seeing you back in September. And as always, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a great start to this August 2019. You have not heard the preliminary teachings on this very meaty topic, this notion that a child has a will, this notion that a child needs a holy mama, a mama who is willing to invest herself And we certainly continue to encourage women to make that a full-time investment. I was listening to a young woman just yesterday who I said to her, tell me the most influential person in your life. And she happens to be a very public person. And she could have named so many well-known people. And she said, the most influential person in my life is my mother. All the days of my life. My mother's voice continues to beckon me to do the right thing. She said, I I so often in the course of the day say, what would my mom do? And I said, well, tell me about your mom. She was a full-time stay-at-home mom. And when this young friend of mine in her teens said to her mother, well, why don't you get a job? I mean, we're grown and gone. They had three children by that time, all in their teenagers. Then the mom said, I just never know when you guys are going to need me. And I want to be here and be available. So training the will, training the will of your child has been our subject all week. Again, if you have missed those subjects, feel free to look to the archives and get all of the four days preceding this one. We've talked about teaching and training, the difference. You'll find that on our website, which gives a very clear definition about the difference between teaching and training and some passages of scripture that will um, reinforce that. And then we talk about the essentials, that there are some essentials in a child that he must learn to do, that there is no option about. It's more than paying taxes and dying. There are some essentials for those especially who follow Christ that God has called us to and the following of him brings about this obedience. And today I want to talk about some very specific things in training the will of a child, training the will of the child. That will, which is a personal power place, that takes an unmanageable habit and turns it into something that looks like obedience to the will of God 
it looks like something that brings about a quality of life, a quality of life that is forever something a child is grateful for. A child who grows up in a home that is not required to be obedient to his mama and papa who are being obedient to the one true living God will grow up to have intense dislike and hatred, according to the scripture, for his parents. George MacDonald, the Scottish uh, writer in the 1800s, said, the will is the deepest place in the human being. And Hannah Whitehall Smith, the will is king and emotions are servants. And Jesus himself who said, not my will, but thy will be done. So today I want to talk about some very specific places to train. Uh, One, train for self-control. Train for self-control. These previous lessons have been taught in front of our Scottsdale study group, and today I'm in the studio, so you won't hear any voices or interaction from behind. But whenever I talk about training for self-control, and I start with Proverbs 29:15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. The audience usually groans, okay? Do you hear that groaning out there? Because the rod is a big question. You are your child's first God. Your home is the first church he knows. Your home is the first school he ever goes to. Be sovereign over him. Treat your commandments to your children like God treats his commandments to us. He expects us to abide in him. He expects us to obey him. Training for self-control is exercising self-control for him. So when you're training this child to have his own will under control, he will have what we call self-control. If you are just enforcing his will, in subduing his will for him, he does not learn how to subdue it for himself. This is a picture of life, isn't it? We get in situations where we look around and, you know, I'm in my 60s and I I want to look around. Will someone please just tell me what to do here? My life is so full of responsibilities that I am responsible for, that I am in charge of. I say to my husband from time to time, or even to one of my closest friends, just tell me what to do. Sometimes I go to a restaurant and I say, just order for me. I just don't want to make another decision. Well, when we have not been trained by our parents to understand what exercising self-control for myself is, we get in a place of the inability to make a decision every day in every way, and then we are caught up in any kind of tide. Remember, a child can learn to sit still, not cry. A child can learn to speak quietly or not to speak at all. And he can learn these simply by the tone of your voice, by the look of your face. So many of you um, have some sort of facial look or the raising of the finger or the raising of the eyebrow or of a phrase. I can still remember my daughter coming out of her room hundreds of times saying, Mom, I can't find my fill-in-the-blank. And I would say to her, if I get up and find that shirt, if I get up and find that book. And so she got to be, by the time she was an adolescent, she couldn't find it. She'd come out and she'd say, Mom, I can't find, I know, if I, if you get up. And then she'd go back. And it was amazing how many times she would find it for herself. I trained her with that small phrase, which meant 
Really, have you looked as hard and seriously? It's always easier to let someone else do it for you. But when we get older and become adults and mature, we look back and say, thank you, Lord, for having parents who made me do this for myself. Paul in the New Testament speaks of buffeting his own body. He exercised self-control. And numbers of you do marathons and triathlons and cancer walks. And we teach and train the difference between what we will and what we want. So I want to encourage you to exercise the training of self-control for your children. The second thing I want to talk about is self-denial. As I said earlier, there are some musts in life. There are some musts in life. But self-denial is about understanding what it takes not to break or crush the will, but to be able to say, I don't need this. I can do without this. Doing without this will make me a stronger person. It's an old movie with Sally Fields in it, and I never say the right title. I think it's called Steel Magnolias. I think that's correct. And I think it's in that movie when she says, what does not kill you will make you strong. Are you helping your child exercise self-denial? Are you saying, do you need another cookie? Do you need another hour sleep? Can you go without buying that? When I was a young woman, I belonged to a church that every year on the Sunday before Thanksgiving, the church practiced sacrificial Thanksgiving Sunday. And the habit had been and built into their budget for the running of the church that the families would pray and fast and consider as a family if they could make the sacrificial donation of one equivalent to one week's salary into the church. And I remembered being just, wow, wow. And then the pastor would preach about what it took to be sacrificial. I, I clearly remember that there was a beautiful pair of white shoes that I wanted to buy. So I said, okay, I'm not going to buy those shoes. I'm going to give the money to the church. It wasn't a week's salary. I wasn't in that, that status. And, and so I didn't buy the shoes and I gave the money to the church. And then about two weeks later, I went to buy the shoes. And I thought, I I can still remember thinking, I wonder if this works. Like, did I really deny myself if I go to buy the shoes later? And I clearly thought, no, self-denial means I'm going to do without that. And I'm going to do without it as a means of sacrifice. Are you training your children to do that? Are they giving up reading time to go out and help dad in the garden? Are they giving up something that belongs to them to someone else who is in need? At Christmas time, is it only time when you say to your children, do you really need all of these toys? Is there someone you'd like to give this to? Is there something you want to sacrifice uh, and teach your children to do it by training them and giving them opportunities to do it. So self-control and self-denial, a place for both of these. And then I want to talk a little bit about appetite, the insatiable appetite for anything. And I'm not talking about just food. While gluttony is on a rise and an increase, uh, certainly in America, I read recently that the Federal Communications Commission reported that children under four years old watch 40,000 ads for food every year. 
Maybe I said that last week, but I want to say it again. What I want to talk about, though, is not the fact that we're just have an insatiable appetite for food. The richness of this country has taught us to have an insatiable appetite for anything and everything. Proverbs and thirty, Proverbs thirty, I believe it's verse seven, says, "When is enough enough?" Are you helping your child to understand? an appetite that is pleasing to God, when is enough TV enough? When is owning enough DVDs enough? When is listening to music enough? Clothes, buying, wearing, changing, washing, activities, sports, when is enough enough? When is enough privacy enough? The marketeers are very smart. They play uh, into all of this insatiable appetite and the opportunity to put down our credit card, to mortgage our homes, to do anything to get whatever we want. For three decades now, we've been told by the culture we live in that we can have what we want, when we want, our way. When I was a girl, my father and mother would take us to the Lincoln Park in Chicago, Illinois. We took a blanket, a pillow, and we got to the park. I I still remember the joy of being able to take off my shoes and run barefoot in the grass. That was all there was. It was the joy of running barefoot in the grass, rolling literally down these little grassy hills, rolling, laying down and just rolling down the hill. We didn't take books and balls and toys. We just went. Today, that kind of event is going to the train park and there's a band and there's food, there's balloons and there's costume character and there's stimulation everywhere. C.S. Lewis, in one of his, oh, extraordinary books, and if you have never read the Screwtape Letters, let me encourage you to do that. But Screwtape is writing to Wormwood about his patient's mother, and they've been able to tempt the whole length and breadth of Europe. And this has been affected, concentrating our efforts on the gluttony of delicacy, not the gluttony of excess. And he writes, This old woman can be gauged by the which her belly dominates her whole life. The woman is in what may be called the all-I-want state of mind. All she wants is a cup of tea properly made or an egg properly toasted. But she never finds any servant or any friend who can do these things properly because her properly is really about an insatiable appetite for having it done her way having it done her way. Romans thirteen thirteen tells us to behave properly as in the day, not carousing or drunken or affecting sexual promiscuity, having no strife or judgment, jealousy. Here, this word means properly as a follower of Jesus, as a wife, as a child, as a student, as a guest, as a citizen. This post-Christian culture tells us that with properly, we have lowered the standards on one side and there is an absolute lack of absolutes. On the other side, we go to the Starbucks and give seven adjectives about a properly brewed cup of coffee and we will just die if we don't get it and the stock at Starbucks will prove that I remember hearing my hero and mentor of the faith Elizabeth Elliot say that as children and she was one of six children when she was a child it was the early 1900s 
her mother would say, do not thump up and down the stairs. It is not considerate of others. And I, I often think of that. Do not thump up and down the stairs. It is not considerate of others. That noise, that lack of regard for others. It's not about you. It's about regarding others more importantly. And when we are teaching our children to not have an insatiable appetite for whatever they want, whenever they want, however they can get it, we are teaching them to train their will. As a counterculture woman, we find the standards in the Word of God. The life of Jesus Christ is not the life we see on television. On television, we see that people have the freedom to express themselves. They have the freedom to say whatever they want to. If you are listening to this podcast, and it is October of 2008, then you have been hearing, as I have been hearing, the freedom the media has to be unkind and ungracious and uncaring to everyone they interview and the pundits who come back and criticize and critique and tear down. These are not the principles of Jesus Christ and the word of God. Behaving properly is not to have an exacting insatiable appetite in getting it cup of tea properly brewed or a cup of coffee the way you want it. It's behaving properly as Christ meant us to behave properly. Train your child in faith. Parenting is about a life transfer. And your children see you live your life. They hear you live your life. They watch you model how you live your life. And that caught it principle, which we've been talking about all week, is extraordinarily important to your children, extraordinarily. Modeling a life of faith creates a hunger for faith in your children. And as I said, you are the first God they will ever see. You are the first church they will ever see. You are the first responsible person who represents Christ. So modeling that life will create a hunger in the lives of your children. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 14 through 19, he gives us an understanding of this. Now, not with you alone am I making this covenant, this oath, but both with those who stand here with us today in the presence of the Lord our God and with those who are not with us here today, For you know how we lived in the land of Egypt and how we came through the midst of the nation through which we passed. Moreover, you have seen their abominations and their idols of wood, stone, silver, and gold, which they have had with them. Lest there shall be among you a man or a woman or a family or a tribe whose heart turns away today from the Lord your God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Lest there shall be among you a root bearing poisonous fruit and wormwood, the same wormwood that C.S. Lewis talked about. And it shall be when he hears the words of this curse that he will boast saying, I have peace though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart in order to destroy the watered land and the dry land. This is a covenant that God was making with the children of Israel. And he was saying, choose life. You've been watching the Egyptians model how they live life. That's their faith. They have idols of wood and stone and silver. And and that's what they do. (sighs) We don't want you to do that. We want you to choose following after Jesus 
Christ. We want you to choose the Lord God. So offering your children a model, a model that will help them focus, a God that never forces us to follow him. We must constantly remind ourselves in our own choices, are we like Joshua? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Are we a peculiar nation or are we looking just like the rest of the world around us? This is something that parents have to consciously be aware of in the choices they make as they show how following God looks to children. If you're doing everything the world is doing, if your life looks just like your neighbor's life and your neighbor has not chosen to follow after Christ, I'm asking you to reconsider that modeling that you're giving. Training your children for faith is about modeling the blessing, the peace and security that comes from knowing who is in charge, that does not come in fear, in fear that the nation is going to crash. God owns all the silver and gold, and he has promised to take care of you. As for me and my house, we will follow God. Is that how you're choosing to live your life of faith so that your children will be trained in how their mother and father um, exercise faith? I remember when Anissa was a young girl, we were so dirt poor. And I looked at what I had left for grocery money for that week and thought, there is no way even eating oatmeal for breakfast and beans for dinner, which is exactly what we were doing, that I was going to stretch what I had left to make it. And I said to Anissa, we have to pray and ask God to figure out how we're going to make it through the week with the groceries. And so in childlike simple faith, she prayed with me. And that night, there was a bag of groceries on the front step. I still have no idea because I told no one except my God. And she was so delighted if you could have seen her little face. That was God having left his throne in heaven, come down and put a brown bag of groceries on the front door. Macaroni and cheese was in that bag. and I, I still... I don't need to know who did it because God prompted them to do it, whoever it was, because he and he alone knew. So model your faith. Model courtesy. Model courtesy. Teach your children to be courteous. Teach them to acknowledge what is important in the life of every human being for his own self-respect. Are your children courteous? Do they thump up and down the stairs? Do they slam the door? Do they rush through traffic? Do they bump their carts in the grocery store? Are they in such a hurry that they have no idea that anyone is around? Teach them to be courteous. Teach them to ask questions about others. It's not about them. How are you today? Do you feel well today? My little grandson is four years old and he is being taught this in his home. And he says the most profound things. I know they're just my little daughter giving him the exact words to say, Nana, how do you feel today? Or Nana, are you feeling well? And I thought, grammatically correct. She has suggested these questions and he comes out and wrote memory and does them. Teach them to look uh, uh, someone in the eye when they're speaking to them. Teach them to answer their questions, to be kind and polite in return. Courtesy is an important part. We're not talking about table manners here, although we're going to do that in another lesson. Courtesy, being kind regarding others more importantly. Teach them to pray. 
pray with your children. Pray in front of them. Pray in front of them. So often we have been trained in this Christian culture to have our quiet time, which is apart and away from what our children see. Read your Bible in front of your children. Pray in front of your children. Get on your knees and let your children see that you are on your knees. When my daughter was a young girl, someone gave me that counsel, and I thought, well, doesn't the Sermon on the Mount say pray so that no one sees you go in your secret closet? And I had always prayed in my clothes closet, always prayed in my clothes closet, on the floor, under the clothes, a little pile of things around me. It was just my little treasured place. Um, someday I'll tell you what my husband did to surprise me about that. But this mom told me that I should pray in front of my daughter. So I would take the time I trained her that no one was hungry or thirsty until mama was through praying. And I would have my devotional time in this chair. I still own this chair. I've had this chair for about 30 years now. Um, No one was hungry or thirsty until mama was finished praying. So if Anissa came in and wanted something and she saw me in that chair, sitting in that chair, reading in that chair, kneeling in that chair, crying in that chair, she would not interrupt me. So train the will of your child by modeling prayer in front of them. Pray for them. Pray about them. Ask them to pray. Listen to their prayers. If you want to know someone, pray with them. Pray with an honest, authentic woman or man or child who is really trying to figure it out with God, and you will learn more about them than you could learn about them in hours of conversation. Train your children for prayer. Train your children to understand the power of prayer. Well, I guess I'd end this time with a few questions for you. Do you respect your children's feelings? Do you respect their individuality? Do you like one of your children more than the other because they're most like you? Do you like your children's ideas and opinions? Do you like the fact that your children are learning and growing to be able to think and solve problems for themselves? Some of that is nothing more than the holy mama letting go. Letting go. It is hard to let go to a child who can solve their own problem because you're not as needed as you used to be. And I don't know about you, mamas, but my daughter is 38 years old, and there are still times when I have this wave of, oh, I wish she still needed me like she needed me in those early, early days of life for her when her mama fed her and clothed her and changed her, and there wasn't anyone else but her mama and her papa. A holy mama gives instruction, direction, and establishes rules. A holy mother gives instruction, gives direction, and establishes rules. Now remember, children have their own rules. Children have their own rules. So mama's rules must be definable, reasonable, enforceable, and they must have some consequence. They must have some consequence. You've heard this before, but children have rules. If I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I'd had a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way, which means I'm not going to share it with you. And if I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. If it looks like mine, it's mine. Boy, mamas, as I read that, I think to myself, do I see myself in a little of that? It looks like mine. It's my private time, and don't interrupt it. Are some of these childlike rules still a part of your adult life? 
Oh, I ask you to define that for yourself. But when mama makes rules, gives instruction and direction, her rules must be definable, simple, clear, understandable. You must speak to them in an eye-to-eye way. They must be reasonable. Do not expect your child to be capable of accomplishing something that he is too young to accomplish. Let him be a child for as long as he needs to be a child. But understand clearly, what can a two-year-old do? Can a two-year-old sweep the floor? Not well, but he can learn how to do it. Can he empty the trash cans? Can a four-year-old do? Can a six-year-old do? And in my book, Loving Life as an At-Home Mom, there's a list of things in there that will help you have some guideposts, some guideline about what's reasonable. It must be enforceable. So they must have a time limit on it. And you've got to be consistent with that. If you're going to train the will of your child, you've got to say by 3 o'clock this afternoon or within the hour or for the little ones when the timer goes off, this must be done. So they understand you mean business now. It must be inspectable. Mama cannot expect what she does not inspect. And there must be no discourse. Avoid discourse and argument and pleading and protestations. My little girl used to say to me, Mama, Mama, let me splain. She always said, let me splain, just about the time I was going for the rod of spanking. When you are definitely challenged, defiantly challenged, win decisively. Do not let your children misunderstand who has the authority and who's in charge. Tell him and then show him. When a child says, who loves me in this world? Tell him show him. And then there must be consequence. A mother must be the kind of mother who doesn't roll her eyes or talk too much or yell or scream. She must not be unruly. She must give them some consequence so they understand that she is giving instruction and direction and she means business. Well, I guess as I started this lesson five days ago, I said an unruly mother can expect nothing more from her children. So I want to end this lesson by reminding you it's all about you, Mama, because you have been given the responsibility and the authority of God to train up the will of these children, you and your husband as parents. And for those of you who are seeking to do this in a full-time manner, we know how hard it is. For those of you who are working outside of your home, we know how difficult it is to be consistent in training the will of a child. But remember that a Mama needs to practice authentic Christian living. She needs to be willing to be with her children all the time. She needs to be a mother who is in the Word and understands these principles from the Word of God. And I think I would add to that, she needs to be able to do it with a cheerful spirit, with a cheerful spirit. Well, I started this session of this series by reading to you a small piece of poetry written by J.R. Miller. It's called Faithful in Little Things, and I want to end with it. Too many people are not faithful in little things. They are not to be absolutely depended upon. They do not always keep their promises. They break engagements. They fail to pay their debts promptly. They come behind times to appointments. They are neglectful and careless in little things. In general, they are very good people, but their life is honeycombed with small failures. One who can be positively depended upon, who is faithful in the least things, as well as the greatest things, whose life and character are true through and through, give out light in this world, which honors Christ and blesses others. Training the will of your child. It's not easy, Mama. It's simple, but it's not easy. 
It's never too late, whatever stage you are in the parenting and training role. And we pray that these comments this week have been encouraging to you. Don't feel like you're under the pile. Just take one of these nuggets and march forward into your own training of your own personal will and modeling it for your children. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it an uncommon day of celebrating sacrifice Jesus' way. Thank you.